You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate megastores led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Today's episode is brought to you by our supporters on Patreon, including our Commodore class. That's Commodore's Obvious, Misfit, Sean, DJ Jesus 72, Lee, David, Torso and Pinches, Matt, the Snarlin' Sea Dog, Hangman Strain, John, Sir Rancid Cheese, Shelby, Andrew, Axios, Vanderwood, Richard, Noah, Infamous Florida Man, Hartman, Skipper, The Sextant, Brian, Cap'n Crunch, Roger the Jolly, Vibran, Artemis Killmeister, Keelhaw Chris, Carcos, Sean, Rotary Coast, M.D., Seth, Ghost750X, Lost Again, The Navigator, Vasios, Doc Lindsay, Pitlock, Ward, Workman, Chairboat, Gunsway Sally, Cannon Monkey, Rumrunner, Madame Anita Sparrow, Hefei, Bull, Vertigon, Rumgut, the Snarlin' Sea Dog, and Bootstraps Bailey. Hello. Welcome to the Pirate History Podcast. My name is Matt. Thank you for listening. I'd like to begin today by making a couple of corrections and answering a question. First, Anastasia wrote to me about something I said way back in episode 173, King William's War. I said that the French colony of Acadia included the modern Canadian provinces of Prince Edward Island, Nova Scotia, and Newfoundland. Of course, Newfoundland was not part of Acadia. It was an entirely separate French colony. Anastasia, fantastic name by the way, very charitably suggested that I meant to say New Brunswick. New Brunswick was part of Acadia. Even today it's a very bilingual place, and I did neglect to mention it at the time. So maybe Anastasia is right, and that's where I made my mistake. I either took notes incorrectly or failed to read them correctly. Either way, Anastasia, whenever you get here in about 150 episodes or so, thanks for pointing that out. Second, Rowena wrote to me, another phenomenal name by the by, to ask for some clarification about what I said about Kingston and Port Royal Jamaica a couple of episodes back. I was talking about the move from Jamestown to Williamsburg in Virginia, and how a lot of official documents written by the Virginia government still carried the name Jamestown. 
I compared that to how the Jamaican government would often use Port Royal on their communications while actually being based in Kingston, and that's my second mistake. The Jamaican government weren't in Kingston at all. They were in Spanish Town. Kingston was... Well, it came into existence back in the 1670s, but at first it was little more than a hub for nearby plantations to store their goods. It was really only populated after the 1692 earthquake devastated Port Royal. At first, it was basically a refugee camp, and they built it up a bit, but there were still efforts to rebuild Port Royal proper as well. But then, in 1703, Port Royal suffered a fire, and was mostly abandoned by the population. There were still some people there, mostly miscreants and pirates and that sort, and of course there was still a famous prison there, but most of the respectable population moved to Kingston, except for the government. The government moved to Spanish Town, where they had plenty of old Spanish colonial buildings for their purposes. However, as I said, they would often use the name Port Royal on their communications. And I don't exactly know why. Maybe it's because that's where it was shipped out from, but I think in part that was just what had always been done. And that practice would die out slowly over the next couple of decades, and finally, in 1755 they would move the government to Kingston. Which I hope, Rowena, that clears some of that up. But now we turn our eyes back to Virginia. Last time we followed the pirate ship La Pa and Captain Louis Guitar from the West Indies to the mouth of Chesapeake Bay. By the time we left off, Captain Guitar had captured at least eight ships on a single cruise. And that's an impressive run for any pirate ship. But now... Now Governor Francis Nicholson, Captain Aldred of Essex Prize, and Captain William Passenger of HMS Shoreham, they knew the pirates were coming, and they were waiting for them. This is episode 322. I judged him a rogue. When we left off, Captain Guitar and the pirates of La Pa were celebrating their run of successful captures. They were drinking and dancing and singing, playing violins, which all turned out to be an unnerving scene for many of the captives on board. The following morning, the morning of 28 April, 1700, their little fleet was underway again, headed for the Virginia Capes, which is to say Cape Henry and Cape Charles. Those are the two outcroppings of land that bookend the entrance to Chesapeake Bay. They were headed there to collect some water, to make some much-needed repairs, and to adjust the rigging, which was out of sorts, and that's important. The rigging was not operating at 100% potential. They needed to fix it. But before they could do so, the pirates spotted two ships drifting almost lazily to the open sea. The larger of the two ships was the Indian King out of Belfast. She was a large merchantman, carrying mostly tobacco and hemp, under Edward Whitaker, bound for London. The smaller of the two ships was the Friendship, of just about a hundred tons, also out of Belfast. She, too, was carrying tobacco, but this time bound for Liverpool. Captain Guitar set a course to intercept the Indian King. Her captain, Whitaker, was skeptical about this stranger coming up to him, 
and said that he, quote, began to mistrust them to be rogues and stood in again, heading towards the capes. But Captain Guitar recognized this and played it off. He struck some of his sail and adjusted the course of La Pas to appear less threatening. Captain Whitaker saw this and let his guard down. He said he, quote, took them to be honest men, and so not minding to lose so much time, stood off again to sea. He continues, quote, They came jogging along without colors till they came within shot of us, and then hoisted a Dutch ensign. End quote. Now, this might seem innocuous enough, and in other parts of the world it certainly would have been, but we need to remember two things. First, the world was not yet at war here in 1700. The English and the Dutch were allies and friendly, but they were not yet a, a unified military power. So it's a little suspicious, but then we need to remember the Navigation Acts. The English colonials were legally barred from trading with any foreign merchants, especially the Dutch. If the Dutch wanted English tobacco, they could buy it, but they were only allowed to do so from a properly licensed and bonded London trading firm. Naturally, there was plenty of smuggling and illicit trading going on, but that all called for a certain amount of circumspection. You don't just go flying Dutch colors out in the open where anyone could see it, especially not in Chesapeake Bay. Which begs the question, why was this ship here flying Dutch colors? Captain Whitaker said, quote, I judged him to be a rogue. And of course he was right, but at this point it was too late. As soon as Whitaker made his decision and tried to flee, the Dutch tricolor came down, and the pirates raised what the good captain called a, quote, bloody ensign, a red pirate flag. Lepas fired a warning shot across the Indian king's bow, and Captain Whitaker surrendered. The captain and four of his men lowered a boat into the water and rowed over to the pirate ship. The pirates, meanwhile, sent their own boat over to the Indian king. There, the pirates took the mate, the surgeon, and a few passengers, quote, violently and with force of arms taken and carried on board. Meanwhile, Captain Whitaker was interrogated. Captain Guitar wanted to know all about English strength in the region. Were there any warships about? No, Captain Whitaker didn't know about the recent arrival of HMS Shoreham. So he was honest when he told the pirates all about the Essex Prize, a small, leaky, undermanned tub that was barely able to stay afloat, much less fight. And he told Captain Guitar that that was it. There weren't any other ships in the region capable of threatening him. Captain Guitar was delighted, and as a reward, he handed Captain Whitaker over to his men who proceeded to torture him to gain the whereabouts of any treasure on board the Indian King. Captain Whitaker gave up that information, so the pirates took what little treasure was on board, along with some rum and tobacco, and then threw their prisoners in the brig. At that point, they set a course for the French ship. The pirates didn't even give the French ship the benefit of a warning shot. See, Indian King was a decent ship. They might want to keep it. But the French ship was tiny, really pretty useless. So the pirates fired on her with a full broadside. 
And there may have been an element of, uh, well, you know how for nearly all of recorded history, there was this rule that if you surrendered your city immediately, a besieging force would spare the inhabitants. They would occupy the walls and certainly take plenty of food and drink, but they wouldn't sack the city or kill everyone. Pirates had kind of a similar code. If you were called upon to surrender, and you did so, they would usually spare the crew. They might even leave a little bit of cargo on board. But if you failed to surrender, all bets were off. They could and would torture and kill anyone they wanted to. It's possible here that the pirates considered their red flag and the fact that they had just sacked another ship, they may have thought that was warning enough. So when the French ship didn't strike sail, they fired on her. Or maybe it was just fun. You know, a bit of sport, bombarding this little shiplet with a full complement of big guns. At least half a dozen men on board the French ship were killed immediately, including Captain Hamill. The friendship surrendered, and the acting captain, the first mate, rode on over to La Paz. There, he found Captain Guitar and John Hewling waiting on the quarterdeck. And you remember John Hewling, right? He's the guy who was impressed into service, but asked for a note from his captain to prove his innocence. And he got it, but then, after a few days on board, he came to the conclusion that he really did like the pirate's life. Now he was a close confidant of Captain Guitar, standing by the captain's side, waiting to welcome their new guests. He asked the first mate of the friendship, quote, was anyone killed? The mate responded, the master. Captain Guitar was concerned. He asked if there was any chance, if maybe he could send his surgeon over to save the captain. Alas, Captain Hamill was already dead. And then John Hewling spoke up. He asked, where the captain had been standing on board. The mate told him, quote, by the mizzen shrouds. And Hewling countered. He said, no, he stood by the mizzen mast, and I fired the gun that shot him. Then he burst into laughter and walked away. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Hello all, Eric Rivenis with the Most Notorious Podcast here. Each week I interview an author or historian about a historical true crime, tragedy, or disaster. Subject matter ranges from gunslingers to Gilded Age murder to gangsters to fires to pirates to wild prison breaks. My guests bring their incredible knowledge directly to you. Please subscribe to Most Notorious on your favorite podcast app. Cheers and have a safe tomorrow. I'd be willing to bet that most of you had never heard of Captain Louis Guitar until we started talking about him. And you know, I'm sure some of you have, but probably not the majority. 
And that's not meant to cast any aspersions. I mean, he's not a famous pirate. Certainly nowhere near the order of a Blackbeard or a Henry Avery, but not even a moderately well-known pirate like a Francois Lolonnais. Unless you're from the Chesapeake region or a particular fan of pirate history, he's pretty obscure. Which is kind of weird. I mean, this single voyage is one of the more successful pirate voyages in history. So far, anyway. Or rather, it's the number of ships he's captured. That's more than most pirate ships could boast. His haul, though, was pretty average. Mostly just supplies and a little bit of cargo. Tobacco, mostly. And he could sell that cargo, but he'd have to go back to Nassau to do it. I mean, he's not plundering royal treasure galleons here. And that's part of why he's not better known. But also, no one wrote about Captain Guitar, at least not at length in any big publications. His exploits were recorded in the official record, but Captain Charles Johnson or Alexandra Exquimelin or William Dampier, nobody like that wrote about Guitar. Which is weird. I mean, he's a pretty brutal guy. There's a ton of torture going on all throughout this story. Just to be clear, when I say he's interrogating the prisoners, these were enhanced interrogation techniques, and these pirates weren't as polite as the CIA. They were doing things like jamming splinters under people's fingernails. Big splinters. There was burning and beating and cutting, but what really makes it stand out is that these pirates seemed to be taking a really sadistic pleasure in all of it. They're laughing and dancing and enjoying all of this violent business. And then there's the element of a man like John Hewling. You know, a good, moral, upstanding man who turns to the dark side. You'd think that that would be a story more people would want to tell, to mythologize. But they didn't. And why is that? Well, I've got one possible explanation. See, when you tell the story of a man like Edward Teach or Henry Avery, there's usually a moral to be found in that story. In the case of Henry Avery, it's about the exploitation of sailors. How the oppression of the bosses led to mutiny and piracy. In the case of the pirates from Nassau, there's this underlying theme of self-governance you know, even liberal democratic rule. All of these stories, from a certain point of view, are about morality and rights, you know, the rights of man. It's all early Enlightenment philosophy stuff, the kind of thing that well-dressed men in London cafes could nod their heads to, but not just them, the kind of thing that rough-dressed farmers in Virginia could nod their heads to. You know, they might not agree with the piracy or the violence or the methods these men went through to express their feelings, but they understood the causes. And maybe, they said, things should change to prevent that happening ever again. But this story is different. There's no underlying moral to which upstanding men could nod their heads. These pirates don't have any plans of starting a republic, no, they... They just enjoy the act of killing officers, of torturing rich, fat merchants, and burning their property. Maybe the reason nobody chose to write about these pirates is because none of those culotte-wearing coffeehouse intellectuals could find a good spin to put on it. Or maybe 
none of that's true at all. Maybe it's just because, in the end, Captain Guitar never posed any real threat, you know, to the established order. He stole some tobacco, tortured a few mid-level agents of some London trading firms, but he never angered the Mughal of India. He never kicked a royally appointed governor out of office. He never besieged Charleston. Not to give too much away, but Captain Guitar's story is going to come to a rather abrupt end in the not-too-distant future. But not quite yet. First, the pirates sailed into Lindhaven Bay. This was still the evening of the 28th, just a few hours later. And again, they intended to gather water and make repairs. But they found waiting a few ships at anchor. Guitar took a look through his spyglass and spotted his prize immediately. She was a fine, sleek, well-built merchantman, the Nicholson, named for Governor Francis Nicholson, under a Captain Robert Lurteen. Lapa, under cover of darkness, sailed in close, within pistol shot. Captain Lurteen hailed her. The pirate's response was clear. The call came back, Out of the sea, you dogs! And then, a volley of small shot, they kept the shot small to avoid damaging the ship, while damaging the people on deck. Nicholson set sail, actually managing to slip away from the pirates. But the chase was on. Lapas set off in pursuit and managed to keep to the windward. At every step, he was able to block Nicholson from escaping Lindhaven Bay. And then, once they were close enough, the guns opened back up. The Nicholson continued to run, but they were under a near-constant state of fire, and men were falling quickly. After about an hour of this, she was forced to strike colors and surrender. This was the third ship that the pirates of La Pa had captured on the 28th of April, and she was the crown jewel of the lot. The Nicholson carried 700 hogsheads of fine Virginia tobacco, along with a few dozen bushels of skins brought from the nearby Indian allies. All in all, for the pirates it was a fine haul, but what really interested them was the, quote, strong beer and red wine. They cracked open a couple of casks and began immediately to drink. They put their prisoners to work, unloading the ship's holds and transferring hides and tobacco. The pirates, meanwhile, took this time to really enjoy themselves, by which I mean they took the time to torture people. First they tied up some of the crewmen, and then they played with a bit of fire, and then they drew their cutlasses and beat them with the flats of their blades. And remember, it's not like they needed anything from these men. They just enjoyed doing it. Well, I should qualify that. Some of the pirates enjoyed it. The men who were beaten here, when they were asked about what happened later on, they remembered there was a core of pirates who were engaging in or cheering on the torture, but they remembered some of the crew staying out of it, and even some of the pirates crying. A few of them averted their eyes trying to pretend it wasn't happening, but none of the pirates put a stop to it. Even later, it would come out that the men who were less enthused about the torture were mostly, maybe exclusively, men who had been impressed into service. They weren't there by choice. Now, some of those men were perfectly happy with all of the robbing and pillaging and equal shares but they didn't much like the part where the pirates drank and sang and took an immense amount of joy from hurting people. 
However, while most of the pirates were just hurting people for fun, Captain Guitar was hurting people with purpose. He had his knife out and was toying with the ship's gunner, asking him about the defenses in Chesapeake Bay, you know, what kind of ships did they have patrolling their coasts. The gunner told him the truth. There was a powerful warship, a fifth rate of 360 tons, carrying 30 guns and over 200 crewmen. The gunner told them all about the dedicated gun deck carrying the really big guns that could puncture a ship's hull with one well-aimed shot. But of course, Captain Louis Guitar knew full well from information he had extracted earlier that day that there was no such warship in Chesapeake Bay. All they had was the one leaky tub, so he decided to punish this lying crewman. He took out his musket and, you know, probably waved it around theatrically in front of his face for a while, but then he began to disassemble it. See, a flintlock had this little vice that holds the actual piece of flint in place. There's this screw that you have to loosen to loosen the vice to actually fit the piece of flint into, and then tighten it back up when you want to fire. Captain Guitar unscrewed the screw, held it up, and then grabbed the gunner's wrist. He held his hand against the deck and began to twist the screw through the man's thumbnail. It bit and dug through nail and flesh and finally into bone. Captain Guitar asked the question again, and this time the gunner saw the five lights. He told Captain Guitar that there was no warship out there, and it had all just been a ploy. Please stop hurting me. Guitar removed the screw, had his men beat the gunner with tarred rope, and then, quote, told him he should not lie next time, end quote. The pirates were three sheets to the wind by this point. That's a pirate's term, by the way, or at least a nautical term that was adopted by the pirates. It's about having three sails open, those on the two masts and the foresail. That means you're going at full speed, hence as drunk as you can be. The prisoners, though, had finally finished up unloading all of the valuable cargo. Mostly that just meant skins and a decent bit of silver, and of course the booze, but that left the 700 hogsheads of tobacco. To be clear, a, uh, a hogshead was an official unit of measurement, and it was based on the size of the barrel it denoted. Traditionally, a hogshead carried beer or wine, roughly 120 imperial gallons of wine. That equals about 150 American gallons, or 550 liters. In the American colonies, though, hogsheads were often used to transport tobacco and carried about a thousand pounds in a single barrel. That's 450 kilos. I mention this because the pirates, who were quite drunk, ordered their prisoners to dump all of it into the ocean. If the measurements and count are correct, that's 700,000 pounds of tobacco, which... Seems like a lot to me, but that's what they say. Of course, the men didn't have to do it by hand. They had cranes on board, but it was still a laborious task that took hours. In fact, it took the men until dawn to finish dumping all of this valuable cargo into the sea. Which they didn't have to do. They just wanted to do it. Because it would hurt these men that they 
clearly despised. So all in all, the pirates had a fun night. They got to get drunk, they got to sing some songs, torture some people, and destroy an amazing amount of produce. Produce that would have made some rich men even richer. And of course, they had this fine new vessel, which Captain Guitar decided he would add to his fleet, maybe make his flagship. All in all, it was a fine day's work. Three ships in a single day, and not a warship in sight. The Chesapeake really was a paradise for their kind. But, of course, we need to remember that confessions gained through torture are rarely to be trusted because men who are being tortured will say anything to make it stop. And that's exactly what that gunner had done. There was a warship in the Chesapeake, HMS Shoreham, and she was waiting for the pirates. Which, of course, the pirates didn't know. They also did not know that during all of their revelry, they had failed to notice a single, small coastal skimmer that had fled the scene and made her way up the James River. By about the time that the men had begun dumping the tobacco into the sea, Governor Nicholson had been informed of the pirates' presence, and by dawn, HMS Shoreham was on her way. Next time, we put an end to the story of Louis Guitar. I'd like to thank everybody for listening. I'd like to thank everybody who helps to support the show, all of our patrons on Patreon, everybody who has left us ratings and reviews, and everybody who has recommended this show. You all make it possible, so thank you. The Pirate History Podcast is a member of the Airwave Media Podcast Network. If you'd like to check out some of their other fine shows, like Grey History, you can do so at airwavemedia.com. Our theme music was, as always, The Old Captain by the fantastic band Brilliant. If you'd like to check them out, you can find them on YouTube, Facebook, Bandcamp, or anywhere fine music is found. As always, most importantly, thank you for listening. Tonight